Hello, and welcome to the Tech Startup Show. In this episode, I speak to Dominic Lau, an awesome VC. He is principal at Ripple Ventures and is building the Ripple X Fellowship Program. In this episode, we talk about the VC world, when the right time to seek investment is, and advice for getting started as an entrepreneur. So let's jump straight in. Firstly, Dominic, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's such an honor to have you. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. No, thanks so much for having me. So yeah, I'm Dom from the team at Ripple Ventures. I started off my career in accounting and finance, and I fell in love with technology as I started uh, doing a little bit of research and just talking with people in the space. Um, what I ended up doing to kick myself, kickstart myself in the ecosystem was to uh, start freelancing with some startups as well as emerging managers. So emerging managers are people looking to start venture funds. So I worked with some folks trying to start fintech and crypto funds uh, back in 2016, which is really fun. So I met Matt in 2018 as he was just starting up Ripple Ventures and I was uh, one of the first hires and I uh, really enjoyed speaking with him, hearing about the vision, uh, learning about uh, how we were going to structure the fund and how, where we we're going to take it. And I thought it was extremely unique. So that's why I was really interested in, in um, joining Ripple. Yeah. And could you just tell us a bit about Ripple Ventures and, and your role as principal? Sure thing. Yeah, so we're an early stage um, thesis driven fund focused on a couple of key categories like enterprise software, uh, creator tools, developer tools, and Web3. Within Web3, we're mostly looking for infrastructure and tooling. And uh, our goal is to work really closely with founders operationally. So I spend time on go-to-market, product, hiring, fundraising, and we typically focus on the pre-seed to seed stages. And then we'll also do some uh, investments at uh, the later C plus and C series A stages too, but mostly focus on the earliest. Um, my role involves investing. So everything from finding companies to doing due diligence, uh, closing the deal all the way to portfolio support after we invest. I also run a student fellowship program where we teach students all about uh, what building a venture backable business is for founders, as well as helping aspiring VCs learn about what um, that role actually looks like. And also, um, as we're scaling up the fund, I'm also building up the team, doing a lot of operational and process and fund administration. And then um, we also have uh, teams also working on marketing, so building a lot of content and um, kind of social media posting to give, give us a much more broader uh, reach with our platform. So yeah, you mentioned you're working on Ripple X Fellowship Program. Do you yep. want to just elaborate a bit on that? Sure thing. So um, the Ripple X Fellowship Program, as I mentioned, uh, it was something that I started because I felt this uh, problem myself personally when I was just starting to learn about VC and trying to get into the ecosystem. Um, it was really tough. Like I, I, I have a long post that I wrote about this, but um, I remember watching hours and hours of YouTube videos of like very old Stanford and Harvard lectures where VCs come in and talk about their jobs and um, what they do. And there's like very dated kind of blog posts and resources that you can read, but none of it um, uh, is like teaching you practical skills of like, okay, this is like what you should do and how you should do it. Um, so back then, like there weren't that many like fellowship programs out there. And it was mostly just uh, student scout programs where funds would work with students to help them find deals. Um, but um, what I found was a lot of these programs weren't education first and they didn't um, spend the time and effort to actually um, teach the students uh, how to fish, uh, to go to go fishing. Um, so what I wanted to do is create a gap, uh, create a um, solution to that gap in the market 
um, because obviously there's a lot more students that are looking to get experience and knowledge um, than there are programs out there to support that. So um, what I built was an education first program where we basically taught students everything from how to conduct customer interviews to how do you assess your own market all the way to, hey, this is how you read a term sheet. Um, this is how you go build your own cap table. Um, from there, we ran the program like 10 times now, and we're going to launch our 11th cohort soon. Um, in between nine and 10, I basically created an online course because I saw there were so many more students um, that were looking to get uh, learnings and insights from us, uh, but we only take roughly 20 students per cohort. So I created an online course to democratize um, kind of the program to everyone. Um, even if they don't go through our formal program, they can still learn through the content. Um, and I created like some videos on top of it to walk through and everything. So um, that has been a huge kind of uptake for us to be able to um, continue our vision of democratizing venture as well as like um, company building to everyone across the world. And what would be your, your best advice for someone getting started in the VC world? Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can do this, actually. Um, when I first started out, um, I started writing some blog posts around tech uh, industries that I was really interested in. What I would suggest people doing nowadays is do that plus um, being a VC without being a formal VC. And what that means is you can actually start to go look at accelerator and incubator lists uh, of companies. You can start um, looking through basically um, funding announcements or just like any company lists that are out there and be like, hey, like I screened through this list. These are the companies that I find interesting and why. These are the companies that I'm not that interested, but I could be wrong because of these reasons. And these are the ones that I don't think um, could be a great investment opportunity if I were this type of investor. Basically writing out these thoughts, um, documentation on how you're actually doing this, write your own memos and put it out there and send it to some VCs and have it uh, online just like public out there. Um, you've basically done the job of a VC without um, deploying capital, which everyone can do. So I, I would highly recommend anyone who's looking to get into venture to basically practice that muscle of, hey, like how do we filter down and how do we choose? Because um, that's the most important part, right? Like uh, when you think about the job, it's about finding the best companies, being able to pick the best companies, and then winning the deal. Um, majority of, of the work is like actually finding the opportunities and selecting the right ones. Um, and then winning the deals, um, that's something that you'll probably learn on the job or from the partners that you're working with. Uh, but you're going to get hired, not because you can necessarily win a deal, but you, because you can find and select the best deals, uh, especially as an analyst. And what are your goals for, for Ripple and Ripple X fellowship program in the future? Yeah, our goal is to build out an international ecosystem of founders and aspiring VCs. Uh, we've already got hundreds and almost like a thousand students now in our ecosystem. If you include all of the cohort members as well as our online course, and is a very highly curated and self-selecting ecosystem. Um, people who come to our program, they want to learn. And it's not so much, um, they just want to collect like experiences per se, but they're actually passionate about what they're doing, what they're learning. And uh, because of that, we have really cool um, founders that come through as well as aspiring VCs that we end up working with afterwards. And uh, what we've seen now is there's a lot of uh, different micro communities that are being spun up uh, inside the fellowship around crypto and Web3. We have other founders working on creator tools, others working on traditional developer tools. So it's been a really cool 
um, way to see the community actually kind of grow itself, as well as um, seeing other people uh, kind of invite um, our uh, fellows invite other people uh, into our ecosystem as well, because they think that they could be a really good fit. So um, our goal is to create a very safe and productive space for people to grow their careers as founders, as well as uh, VCs. And to scale out the online course, we're looking to find some partners now to help us kind of um, build out the course even further and ultimately um, uh, hold more in-person events because we've seen that do very, very well, um, just building better relationships than uh, what we have online. And how do you manage all your time between not only your professional work with Ripple X and the fellowship program, and also your, your personal projects, like I see you have a blog and I'm sure you have some other projects. How do you manage all that, all your time? Yeah, it's uh, definitely not easy. Um, that's, that's the honest answer. Uh, but we, what we try to do uh, personally and uh, internally at the firm is um, we, we just also created like a, a team notion project management board. So making sure that like we know uh, what's going on, what's high priority, um, typically like how long something's going to take. And honestly, like a lot of it is um, help from the team uh, and supporting each other and having really good kind of communication um, when someone needs help or when some when we need like extra time for stuff. Um, that's honestly like how we manage like our projects uh, from like a technology and just like communication relationship perspective. But all of it is really um, communication driven, to be honest. And, and you have a Notion workspace. How, how does yeah. that work? Yeah, so our team shares a Notion uh, workspace and we have a bunch of our documentation in there. We have a, a Kanban board where we have like cards for different things that people are working on. Um, and then we manage a lot of our basically like team one-on-one -on -one and uh, team syncs on that. Um, but that's kind of where we're uh, doing all that process. And how do you avoid burnout? Yeah, it's the, the golden question that everyone is asking, right? Um, I don't have an amazing answer, but yeah. the, the things that have worked for me is um, knowing when to turn off and when to basically um, make the cognizant decision that, hey, like I'm feeling very tired and um, deciding, hey, like what, what, what timeline or what project um, might not be as urgent as you might think. Um, and the world is not going to stop, uh, stop spinning uh, if you stop working. So having that realization of, hey, like, um, we, we should probably take a break um, and putting yourself in situations uh, where you can basically be like, hey, like, every now and then I'm just going to take Friday off because um, it's healthy. Uh, we, a lot of companies are starting to do that, too. And we're encouraging our, our, our team to do that as well. Um, and the last thing that honestly helps is making plans outside of work uh, to force yourself to leave uh, the office and leave your work. Um, so having like dinner plans, weekend plans, um, that's the best thing to keep um, motions outside of work uh, going so that um, it's not only work that is surrounding your life. And that's, that's been a really good way to avoid or just like minimize burnout as much as possible. And what advice would you give people who want to get started with entrepreneurship and build their own startup? Yeah, the biggest thing that we teach in the fellowship program is to focus on your customer, focus on your end user. So as a result of that, like do as many interviews as possible and learn how to ask really good questions. So I would highly suggest reading The Mom Test. It's a book that kind of covers how to structure questions, how to 
interview people. And basically from those conversations, you narrow down what the smallest and tightest like problem space you can start with. And I would try to build like the most basic MVP possible. So the most basic minimum viable product. And then from there, you can start iterating um, from there. Um, I'll give you a good example. Like one of our um, Ripple X Fellowship alumni, um, Audit and Tom, they're building Lula right now. It's an integrated um, convenience store delivery platform. And what they did to start was they basically built an Instagram page with, hey, like these are the items that you can get delivered to you. And um, they basically delivered all the items themselves uh, for the first uh, month or two. And then now they've basically integrated with all of the delivery platforms and they've built integrations with all the stores. And now it's like a huge like technology and automation um, uh, product. But when they first started out, they built the most minimum viable product, which was an Instagram storefront um, with pictures of like a Pepsi bottle, bag of chips, whatever. And then people would DM them being like, hey, like I want this, uh, can you deliver it to me? And they delivered like a bag of chips to their friends um, down the street. So. Um, that's what I mean when like you should start with the minimum viable problem space and then build the minimum viable product for that um, and keep iterating and scaling it as you face these bottlenecks as you're growing. Um, the biggest mistake that I see people do is they build a solution and then try to find a problem to fit that solution. Um, and that never, ever works out. Always start with the problem that you're trying to solve. Make sure there are enough there are enough people that are facing that problem and it's a big enough problem for them. And then try to solve that in the most easiest way possible first. Um, and that's your MVP. And what is your single biggest piece of advice for founders seeking investment? Uh, the, the biggest piece of advice is uh, learn how to storytell. Um, investors love uh, buying into kind of like the vision and the relationship with the founder. So you have to have a very good story to tell with the business to be able to actually do that. Um, and also like finding the right investor for you. Um, the interesting thing that most people don't know is even within one firm, there might be like five to like 50 investors sometimes. Um, one investor on that team might pass on you, but another investor might actually be really interested in you. So picking the right investor, even at a certain firm is really important. For example, if you are a um, developer tool um, going after a, uh, a venture fund, uh, trying to get them to invest in you. If you go after the partner that's focused on consumer investments, probably not a good fit, right? Uh, but if you go after the partner that's focused on developer tools, probably a much better fit that you'll get a hit rate on. So going after the right investor, even at a certain firm is really, really important. Usually they'll have that described on the website on what they focus on, but um, even there's like specific partners within like developer tools that might be better because some partners might be focused on data tooling. Some other um, partners might be focused only on machine learning. So if you're a machine learning startup, you go after the machine learning partner and not the uh, data tooling partner. Um, so there's additional layers of research where you need to go finding the right investor uh, to go after even at uh, one firm. Um, so I, I would highly recommend doing that additional research to try to point yourself in the right direction. And do some VCs prefer when a startup has multiple co-founders or is solo founding a startup okay? And what are the, the pros and cons of both of them? 
uh, from an investor perspective, having multiple co-founders um, de-risk the business in some ways, because if you just have a solo founder, like a majority of it's riding on that solo founder's shoes uh, or the shoulders. Um, it also depends on who that solo founder surrounds themselves with. So if you have a non-technical solo founder, they better have a technical uh, VP of engineering, even if they're not a co-founder uh, or director of engineering, head of engineering, whatever it is, just someone to fill that gap. Um, so usually you have multiple co-founders because they fill certain gaps within the business at the earliest stages. You have someone focused on like business development and sales and community. You have someone else focused on like product and engineering. So you have to have these types of um, superpowers across different people within the team. And it's uh, very rare to have all of that um, strength within one solo founder, unless you're a multiple, multiple time founder and, and you've had a lot of success in the past. Um, the downside from a founder's perspective is there's more, um, there's less equity to go around. So like if you start a company with a friend and you go like 50-50, instead of owning 100, you own 50-50. Um, counter argument to that is you de-risk de the business. You have more hands to go around to help build the thing. And also um, you have a smaller piece of a potentially bigger pie. So that's kind of how I would think about those types of uh, founder dynamics. And I think you touched on this a bit, but what are your thoughts on um, people bootstrapping versus um, getting investment? Yeah, for bootstrapping, I think it's great um, to kickstart the business on a more uh, capital efficient method. So if you have like obviously uh, technical co-founders or heads of engineering at uh, your company, then you could technically push out a product without raising capital. But if you are a non-technical founder, then you might have to go out and raise some money or use some of your own money to go out and actually build the product. So it depends on your situation, right? Um, but the expectations of a bootstrap business versus a venture backable business are very different in terms of growth and outcomes. Like if you bootstrap a business to um, a $30 million exit um, and you own 100% of that, that is the same as if you owned 10% of a $300 million business. Um, but those are very different paths on like how you actually get there, right? So it depends on like your situation, depends on like um, how big you wanna build the business, but obviously like venture capital, growth equity, uh, external financing, it's used to propel businesses faster through uh, capital. Um, whereas bootstrap businesses typically don't grow as fast because they don't have the ability to invest ahead of where their current um, basically revenue is at. Yeah. And final question, where can people connect with you or support you? Yeah. The best way is to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn and I'll, I'll send my links uh, to Charles afterwards so you can find me there. I'll be in the description below. Thank you so much, Dom. It's been such a pleasure to have you. And, you know, I learned so much and I really hope the audience did too. No problem. Thanks so much for having me, Charles.